0: What's up, Renaissance? Y'all got to talk back to me. How y'all doing? Are y'all good? All right. Well, it's good to be back uh, with y'all. Last time I was here, several months ago, and it's been a hectic season for my wife and I. First of all, we had, I think since the t- last time we were here, I don't know how, when I was here before, but we had our third uh, child, a uh, son, Jackson. And uh, so, it's, I know some of y'all are like, you look 17 years old. I know, because I can't get this to connect. This won't connect, no matter what I do. Um, yeah. uh, but uh, it's been a it's been a, a, a full season. It's been a rewarding season. It's been a challenging season. Uh, my wife was on staff at our church. She's a worship leader. She was on staff for eleven years, uh, and then uh, she decided when we found out we were having a third child, she decided to stay home, which was a big decision for her to stay home full time after working in full time vocational ministry. And uh, we have been used to doing everything together. I mean, we drop the kids off together, we go to church together, we were working in ministry together, and so uh, she was always in the loop on everything in the church, and, so, and then we would leave the church, and then we would pick the kids up and we would go home together. And so now it's a different rhythm of life, because she's not always as up to speed and up to date, and in fact, she picks the kids up, she's home with all of them, and my second son, uh, or, or my middle child, uh, who's my first son... We just call him Cray-Cray because he's crazy. He's just absolutely crazy. He's lighting fires around the house. He's just ridiculous. He just turned four last week. And uh, so at the end of the day, she's waiting for me to come home. And inevitably, she gets the dreaded text message. I'm running late, babe. I'm running late. And unfortunately, I wish I could say it didn't happen frequently. It does happen because this stuff comes up uh, in the office. And she's just kind of waiting for me to get home now. That message, I'm running late. I want you to transfer that. Uh, to maybe a little bit more of a serious situation you got a young boy who lives with his mom that his parents split up Some of you guys have lived this story His parents split up and his dad says hey. I'm coming to pick you up We're gonna go to the movies me and you are, are spending the day together And so dad says hey movies at 5. I'm coming to pick you up at 4 3:55, the boy is sitting at the window waiting for his dad to come super excited 405 rolls around Dad's running a little bit late 415 430 the son is still excited, but he's getting a little bit nervous. 4.45 rolls around. Movie is 15 minutes away. Now he's starting to wonder, because this is the first time this has happened. He's starting to wonder, is dad going to show up? Because he said he's running late over and over and over again. Is dad going to show up? Now, the difference between, same statement, I'm running late. The difference between those two situations, what makes the second more serious is that the son is dependent on the father. So when I tell my wife, hey, I'm running late, she might be annoyed, but she's a grown adult, she can kind of move and do what she needs to do. But this son is dependent on his dad, so I'm running late impacts him very, very differently. And here's kind of what I know. I know it in my own life, and I know it in a room full of people this size, right? I I know that some of us, when it comes to our relationship with God, some of us feel like God is running late in our life. Some of us feel like God is running late and what makes that so difficult is, is he's the one who has said, you should depend on me, you should rely on me, I am trustworthy, and we feel like he's not showing up when we need him to show up. And maybe that's in, a, in, in our particular life stage. Maybe as we thought we were going to be somewhere, but we're not quite there yet and we've been waiting for God to move. Maybe that's a prayer that you somebody has said the most, the most bold prayer you can pray is the one that you've already prayed and God hasn't answered yet. Maybe it's a prayer that you've continued to pray and God hasn't answered that prayer yet. Have you ever felt like time was getting away from you? Like you struggle with the reality that God can do something, but for some reason he hasn't. Maybe it's a personal challenge. Maybe it's a philosophical challenge for you. There's doubts that you've carried about Christianity and about God, and you have said to yourself and to God, God, I would believe if you would just clear up this doubt, if you would answer this question, you've been waiting, you feel like God is running late, you feel like he's not paying attention. All of us have been in that place before, and here's what happens. In those moments, while we're waiting, sometimes we're tempted, and this is the key, we're tempted to judge God's character based on our timing. We're tempted to judge God's character based on our timing. And we say, God, are you the same God that I believed in at first? Because you're not moving according to my timetable. And in Mark chapter 5, we meet a man named Jairus who faced that exact same temptation. And so if you got a Bible, you got your phone, turn to Mark chapter 5. We're going to read through this story together and we're going to see what happens when you're in that space where you're tempted to judge God's character based on God's timing? I want to show you why that is a mistake. Can we do that? I'm going to do it anyways. All right, cool. All right, here we go. Mark chapter 5, we're going to pick up in verse 21. We'll walk through it, pause as we uh, make our way through. It says this, it says, when Jesus had again crossed over by the boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was at the lake. And then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came. Now, pause there in verse 22 for a second. Jesus has been doing crazy ministry. If you read the Gospel of Mark up to this point, he just healed this dude that was uh, possessed by demons. He's been doing all of this stuff, right? And so now he comes into this other region on the other side of the lake. Large crowd is gathered, and this man, this synagogue ruler named Jairus, comes up to Jesus. Now, Jairus is one of the synagogue leaders in uh, in this town called Capernaum. And here's why that's significant, right? This was an extremely prominent leadership role in the Jewish community, and that's important because if you know anything about the Bible, and if you're new to the Bible, here's what you got to understand to really get this story. In this time, in Jesus' day, the Jewish leaders were extremely hostile toward Jesus. They didn't rock with Jesus at all. In fact, if you read John chapter 9, there was a law that if anyone, if anyone believed in Jesus as the Messiah, if anyone confessed... Jesus as Messiah, it was official Jewish policy that they would be kicked out of the synagogue. And so when Jairus, this synagogue leader, this Jewish leader, comes up to Jesus, what happens next is not just unusual, it's dangerous. His livelihood is on the line. So look at what happens next. Verse 22, he comes to Jesus and it says, When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. It says he pleaded earnestly with Jesus, saying, My daughter is dying, please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live." Y'all, we we don't feel the impact, right, as we read this. This is like a Democrat-like senator endorsing a Republican candidate. It's happened before. It's not advisable, right? This is Kevin Durant going to Golden State. This is treason. Kyrie says, Melo leaving New York. I know that's too soon. I'm sorry. Right, this is, this, is, this is treason here as we're reading this. For him to come and fall at Jesus' feet, prostrate in a posture of dependence and worship. This is crazy. Now, why would he do this? The text tells us, Mark tells us, out of desperation. His daughter is 12 years old. Luke tells us, he adds that this is Jairus' only child. This is his baby girl, this is his only child. And no matter what he had been told about Jesus... And no matter what his family and friends said about Jesus, no matter what he had previously believed about Jesus, he now knew how desperately he needed the power of Jesus in his life. Either Jesus was going to move or his daughter was going to die. And so knowing that Jesus had done miracles before, he begs Jesus to come heal his dying daughter. And the story continues, verse 24, it says, so Jesus went with him and a large crowd followed and pressed around him. Jairus says, I need you to come heal my daughter. Jesus says, all right, let's go. Let's let's move quickly. Now, I want you to think. I want you to think. Get this picture in your mind of an ambulance rushing through the streets of New York City trying to get to this dying girl. I mean, the sirens are blaring. They're in a hurry. This is an emergency. Jesus and Jairus are, are pressed on all sides by these crowds trying to get to this girl. And then Jesus gets interrupted, which is, if you read the the Gospels, it's almost like Jesus got ADD. Like he's always, always interrupted in the middle of everything. Verse 25, a woman there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Let's pause there for a second. There's a woman now, a new character is introduced into this story. While they're on the way to Jairus' daughter, this woman shows up. She's been subject, she's been hemorrhaging for 12 years. Years. Now we're not told specifically what was causing this, but we know that it's a chronic condition. It's 12 years, and that would be bad enough. That would be bad enough. But she's not only struggling with her health, she's struggling with her hope. She's struggling with her hope at this point. She's hopeless, and it's not like she hasn't been been trying. It's not like she's lazy. It's not like she hasn't been doing anything to better her situation. Look at verse 26. It says she suffered a great deal under the care of. Many doctors, many doctors, and, and on top of that, she had spent all of the money that she had, and yet, listen. Instead of getting better, Mark tells us she only grew worse. And listen, some of y'all, y'all know what this feels like, especially if you've suffered from chronic illness before. You know exactly what she must have felt if you've if you've struggled with cancer or debilitating, or like migraines or back pain. Right, where everybody else is kind of moving along in their life and you are suffering from this chronic pain or this chronic illness, being sick or in pain is one thing, but when there's no end in sight, like that's emotional torture. I mean, that absolutely drains you of your hope. As a matter of fact, I was reading this medical journal and they said it's estimated that up to one-third of people with a serious medical condition have symptoms of depression. Say, said chronic illness can make it impossible to do the things you enjoy, and it can eat away at your self-confidence, and they said it can eat away at a sense of hope in the future. Everybody else is going on with their life, you feel completely alone in your pain. This woman coming to Jesus has tried everything, 12 years, she's lost her sense of hope for the future, and some of us have felt that way before, like no matter how hard you try, nothing seems to get better, everything only seems to be getting worse. Health problem, a stressful season in life, grief that you feel like you can't come out of, a financial hole. You feel like no matter how much you grind and hustle and work, that financial hole just keeps getting deeper and deeper and deeper. A marriage situation, a simple temptation that you can't seem to overcome. We know what it feels like to lose that sense of hope. This woman has been suffering for 12 years. And then, verse 27, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd. And listen, if you understand this culture, what happens next, it should make you very nervous. She comes up behind Jesus and she touches his cloak. The old version, I grew up in church, the old version says she touched the hem of his garment. She grabbed the bottom of, of his cloak, of his robe. Now here's why that's significant, because listen, in that culture because of her medical condition, because of her bleeding, she would have been ceremonially unclean. What does that mean? It means that she would have been unqualified to be in the presence of God. She couldn't enter the temple or the synagogue. She couldn't participate in religious activities. She couldn't participate in the social life of Capernaum in that time. As a matter of fact, we read about this in Leviticus 15. It says, she shall, talking about A woman who has this kind of chronic bleeding, it says, this is the Old Testament law, says she shall be unclean as long as she has the discharge. Any bed she lies in shall be unclean, and anything she sits on shall be unclean, and anyone who touches those things shall be unclean. So listen to this. Not only was it illegal for anybody to touch her, it was illegal for anyone to touch anything that she touched. So she is completely, completely isolated. And yet, she breaks through all of that and she comes to Jesus and she touches him. Why would she do this? For the same reason a hostile Jewish ruler would do it. Because she's desperate at this point. She knew she needed the power of God. So verse 28, it says, she thought, if I could just touch his clothes, then I'll be healed. And it says, immediately. You got a Bible, circle that word. Immediately. Immediately, her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. And at once Jesus re- realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? Verse 31 says, you see the people crowding, against, the disciples said to him, you see the people crowding against you, and yet you asked, who touched me? In other words, the disciples are like, listen, Jesus, we're in a, we're in, everybody touched you. Jesus Like like, every, everybody is touching you right now. The crowd is pressing against you, Jesus. What are you, what are you talking about? And Jesus won't let up. Verse, verse 32 says, but Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Now you got to think. I want you to think for a second about what this woman, she wanted to stay anonymous, I'm sure. She, she's in this crowd. She wants to be healed and she wants to slip out. She doesn't want to draw attention to herself. She wants to get what she needs from God and roll out without anybody knowing about it, just like so many people do after church on a Sunday, right? And it's, it's absolutely cool. You come in, you sit in the back because you have questions, you're new to this thing, you're, you don't know kind of what people might think about the stuff that's going on in your life, but you're here because you know you need something from God, but... You're going to slip right on out because you don't want people to kind of get in your business and get in your life yet. I'm sure that's how this woman felt. And you got to imagine why she felt that way. This woman has been full of embarrassment for 12 years. She's been isolated. She's full of shame. She's afraid that she'll be condemned. She was so vulnerable. And not because of anything she had done. She's vulnerable because of what had happened to her. She's vulnerable, and I love this picture in the Gospels of how Jesus handles not just vulnerable people, but in particular, vulnerable women who have been ostracized and have been abused by culture. And this woman feels this, and then verse 33, it says, then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, she hears Jesus' question, who touched my clothes? Now, I got to imagine that in that question, she probably heard some condemnation. Who touched me? And she knows she's not supposed to, but It says, knowing what had happened to her, she came and fell at Jesus' feet. And trembling with fear, she told him the whole truth. She told him the whole story. Verse 34, and here's how Jesus responds to her. He doesn't say, you unclean woman. Look at the text in verse 34. He says to her, daughter, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. You see, Jesus wanted her to know that what she had experienced wasn't magic. What she had experienced wasn't superstition. It wasn't grandma's religion. She had been personally healed by God through her faith in Jesus. Through her faith in Jesus. And this is an amazing illustration. If we could pause here for a second, it's an amazing illustration of the gospel. It's an amazing illustration of what God offers to every single one of us. Because what you got to know about the story, listen, according to Levitical law, here's what would have had to happen. This woman would have had to wait until somehow the bleeding stopped. Now, she's been waiting for 12 years. So she would have had to wait somehow for the bleeding to stop. Then after that, she could go to the priest And when the priest examined to see, okay, the bleeding has stopped, then the priest had to make a sacrifice on her behalf, and then and only then would she be admitted back into Jewish society. A priest couldn't touch her because that would make the priest unclean. The priest couldn't touch her because that would make the priest unclean. But listen, that is the opposite. That's the opposite of Jesus, our great high priest. When Jesus comes into your life, Jesus touches what is unclean, and it doesn't make him unclean. He touches what is unclean and and makes it clean. This is the great transfer of the gospel, that Jesus, who knew no sin, came and took our sin onto himself so that we could be free from that sin. He was perfectly clean, qualified to live in the presence of God, the only one qualified, and he comes and he becomes unclean for us on the cross, separated from God so that we could be clean, so that we could become qualified to live eternally in the presence of God. That's the good news of the gospel, that he took your sin, he took your uncleanness, and through his sacrificial blood, we are made clean. Now, this is, this is some good gospel glory right here. This is some good old, like, amazing truth that Jesus responds to us and he can make us clean. But hold up, this is good news for the lady too, but have we forgotten about our boy Jairus? Like have we forgotten about our boy Jairus? Because listen, the way Mark is is constructing this, this narrative and the way it happens, it's designed as you read this to make you forget about Jairus. It's designed to cause you to kind of feel the, the glory and the gratitude and the wonder of what Jesus did for this woman and completely forget about the fact that Jairus is waiting on Jesus to work in his daughter's life. Jesus, Jairus is standing there waiting, and I'm sure he's thinking to himself, I'm, I'm happy for her. But my daughter, is like, Jesus, I'm going to let you finish, but my daughter is dying. My daughter is dying, and I know some of us have felt that way before, right? We felt that way before. Maybe you're in a season where God is making you wait, and he's not just making you wait. He's making you wait while you watch him work in other people's lives. He's making you wait while he, while he wa- makes you watch his work in other people's lives. And, and think, just think about it. Jesus sparks up a conversation with this woman. Like Jesus could have been like, you're good, like, on the way. He stops, and it says in verse 33 that she tells him the whole truth. She tells him the whole story. Like, have you, have you ever interacted with those people that can't take social cues? Like, you want the conversation to be, it's going to happen to you in the lobby at the service. You want the conversation to be over? You're trying to answer just yes and no, so they not open up more. Conversation. you backing up. Like, you really, like, are going in. Like, this is how, like, you kind of just backing up, and they just, They just move closer to you. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's Jairus. He's like, lady, wrap it up. (laughs) Like, we are moving. Like, I got to go to brunch. Like, come on. Like, my daughter is dying. Time is running out. Jesus, I came to you because I know you can work. And I got to you in time. And you're dragging your feet. And then while he's talking to the woman, the worst words a parent could ever hear. Imagine you're in the emergency room, waiting room, and you hear these words. Verse 35, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, and listened to what they say. They say, your daughter is dead. Your daughter is dead, they say. Why bother the teacher anymore? Now, you got to remember, Jairus had just seen this woman be healed. So here's what he knows. He knows that Jesus is able to heal. He knows he's able to heal, but for some reason he didn't. He knows that Jesus has the power to do what he needs in that moment, but for some reason Jesus did not move in time. He chose not to do it. And listen, I remember, I remember racing to the hospital July thirtieth, two 2009. Right before that, sitting on the couch, uh, me and my wife. My wife was upstairs. I was on the couch downstairs. And I'm sitting there and the phone rings. It's like 9, 10 o'clock at night. I don't remember what time it was. Late at night. I pick up the phone. It's Jessica Rice. She wasn't Jessica Rice back then. She was Jessica Jackson back then. And I know some of you have become an a renaissance for a while. You've heard Jessica and Jordan share their story about being widowed because it's so critical to their faith. But I, I want to share part of the story because I want you, I, w- I want to emphasize for you how it felt for me because, because when, I, when I picked up the phone, now, when I picked up the phone, we kind of talked, and Jessica just gotten married like two months prior to that, and my wife sang at her wedding. And we're talking. I'm excited because I haven't talked to Jess in, in, in a while, and I want to hear how's, how's, uh, how's, you know, newlywed life treating you and all of that. And she says two words. She says, Jerron died. Jerron died was her previous husband. And I remember I didn't believe her. I thought she was joking. And I remember grabbing my wife and, I, and getting off the phone with Jess. And she told me she was at PG Hospital. I remember us hopping in the car and racing to the hospital. And this is what I remember vividly because I knew Jerron. Jerron was a friend. I remember being in the car and I remember pleading with God. I, I mean, And I was going in, y'all, like real like God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Like you, you cast out demons. Like you, you spoke to the wind and the waves. Like I'm praying in faith, and I'm saying, God, I need you to move. I know they're saying he's there. Maybe he's not. Even if he is there, God, I need you to move. I need you to work. And we get to the hospital. And God doesn't do it. God didn't do it. Jerron died. He died. Listen, that will mess with your faith. That will mess with your faith. It will tempt you to judge God's character based on your timing. Those are the moments where you think to yourself, God, I'm praying in faith. I'm, I'm believing you. I'm trusting you. And you're not working, you're not moving. I'm tempted to draw a conclusion about God based on our circumstance. The messengers come to Jairus, and look at what they do. They say, your daughter is dead, circumstance. And this is the conclusion they draw. Why trouble the teacher any further? Since he didn't work in your circumstance in the way that you were expecting him to, why trouble him e- even further? Why continue believing in him? Why continue bothering him. Jesus didn't intervene the way you expected him to, so why keep setting yourself up for disappointment? Verse 36 says, overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid, just believe. Now, you feel the heaviness of drama. Let me just pause before we go on the story real quick, just so I can like lighten y'all up, right? This is a real story. Here's what I know, though. Because of his relationship with Jesus, like, I don't feel sorry for Jerron right now. His story did not end on 495 in a motorcycle accident. He might even be listening to this story like, bro, wrap it up. Wrap it, he's not listening to me. He's got too much to do in heaven and listen to this terrible sermon, right? But, but, he, but listen, listen. Jesus says to Jairus, though, don't be afraid. Just believe. Now, it's a long walk back to Jairus' house. And the only thing Jairus has to hold on to during this walk Is the reality of his circumstance, my daughter is dead, and the reality of God's word. Don't be afraid, just believe. And so he's walking, and you can imagine that Jesus' words keep echoing in his mind. Don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid, just believe. Believe in what? It's too late. She's already dead. Believe in what? And Jesus is saying, listen, believe that not even death can stop God's plans. Not even death. He goes to Jairus' house in verse 39, tells the grieving family, the child is not dead, but asleep. Which, if I'm just keeping it 100, that seems pretty insensitive, right? We at the funeral, like we're standing around her body and you say, she's not dead. She's just asleep. But listen, here's what you got to understand. To Jesus' death, the most final thing we could ever face. Death, the thing that has power over even the most powerful. To Jesus, death is just, it's like a power nap. Like the thing that, that we fear the most, the thing that is the most inevitable for all of us. To Jesus, it's like just this temporary thing that he alone has power over. We see that in First Thessalonians four thirteen and 14. Jot that down, and read it, right? That, that for those of us who are in relationship with Christ, death is just, it's a nap. And God promises to all who are in Jesus this resurrection when he returns to live in his presence for all of eternity. For all of eternity. Verse 41 says, he took her by the hand and he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, In Aramaic, he says, I say to you, get up. In verse 42, it says, immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. And at this, they were completely astonished. Completely astonished. Listen, here's what I want you to see, right? Jesus wasn't running late. He wasn't running late. He was taking his time. He was taking his time to accomplish his plans. God has a plan. He has the power to execute his plan. And our difficulty is that he's not operating according to our plan. And sometimes we're tempted to judge his character based on our timing, based on our plan. And we're like, God, you're not moving at the speed I want you to. You're not moving in the way that I want you to. And if we're not careful, we will make a premature judgment of the character of God. We'll say, because of what I'm going through, God must not be good. Because of what I'm going through, God must not be present in my life. He must not be wise. Because of what I'm going through, the God I first believed in must not be the real and the true God. What this story tells us, though, is that even, even in the face of death, the thing that is the most final, it's not ultimately final to God. It's not ultimately final to God. God has the power to move, to work in your situation and and here's the deal Jesus didn't simply want to show his power over sickness he wanted to demonstrate his power over death Jairus was came looking for healing but Jesus was preparing a resurrection he wanted to reveal his resurrection power to Jairus not just his healing power he, was, he had his plan prepared and he's executing his plan according to his own purposes and his own wisdom. And I know some of us, man, when we, when we think about this, we, we, we look at the story, we're like, okay, but I want, I, want, I want Jesus to move right now in my situation like he did for Jairus. That's how I wanted to move. But listen, here's what you got to understand. As a Christian, part of being a Christian means accepting the reality that some things just aren't going to make sense until that ultimate resurrection. Because listen, Jairus' daughter, she was resurrected. She got up, but she probably she grew up and she still had to face death. So even Jairus doesn't get a pass. He doesn't get a pass. His daughter still had to face death. This temporary resurrection is designed to point all of us to that permanent resurrection That Jesus rose from the grave and that in Jesus, all of us, all of us can experience that permanent resurrection and live in the presence of God. Resurrection is God's ultimate answer to every one of our prayers, every one of our prayers. So he has the power to move right now, but in the meantime, we cling to the promise that we know, we know he has promised to work ultimately. Jesus is not running late in your life. He is he is taking his time to work out his plans. You know, uh, I'm praying. But my my wife, several years ago, back in 2008, she was planning me a surprise uh, birthday party. It's January 2008. She's planning me a surprise birthday party, and y'all, she's like really going in on this party, like she's going all in. She so she, what she told me was that me and her were just gonna spend our birthday together, just the two of us solo. But she was planning this party. She had invited everybody. It was going to be at my aunt's house. I mean, she's going all in. And so she said, listen, I'm going to be there to pick you up. I'm coming to your house. I'm going to pick you up, and then we're going to go out. So she's on the way, and she gets the dreaded text message. I'm running late. And it was true. I was legit running late. Like, I was shaving. I was rushing, shaving, cut my neck like Quentin Tarantino, blood gushing out my neck. It was terrible. Like, it was was crazy. I was genuinely running late. So she gets to the house. And she's sitting there waiting, waiting, worried that I'm destroying her plans. Here's what she didn't know. She wasn't planning my surprise birthday party. She was planning her engagement party. Because a couple months prior to that, I called my boy Delali. I said, listen, I need you to call Ashley. I need you to convince her to plan me a surprise birthday party. I was like, hey, I was like, here's who I want you to invite. It's gonna be at my aunt's house. He's like, yo, what, f- what food should I order? I was like, I don't know, ask her. You know what I'm saying? Like, she's planning it. So I come downstairs, she's freaking out because her plans are messed up. She's freaking out because she's waiting and she thinks I'm messing up her plans. And we get in the car, and we both nervous. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm nervous, she's nervous. She told me we had to stop at my aunt's house to pick up something real quick, so we get to the front door. She's trying to get me to go in first. I'm trying to get her to go in first. (laughs) So I gently, not in an abusive way, gently nudge her into the door. She goes. She goes in. She sees everybody that she invited, so at first she doesn't quite get it. Then she sees her father walk towards her. She sees a chair in the middle of the foyer. Her dad comes up to her. And takes her coat off of her. And I have a picture. I have a picture right now of that moment where she began to figure it out. And she's like, her coat is half off. And she's looking back at me with this, like, confused look on her face. Her dad takes her coat and sits her down in the chair. And then I propose. Listen, here's what she didn't know. I wasn't running late. I was just taking my time. I was just taking my time. Just taking my time. listen. Listen. So many of us feel like we come to God with our plans. We come to God with what we think we need in the moment. We come to God with what we want or what we legitimately need in the moment. And we're waiting for him. And because it feels like he's delaying or because it feels like he's not choosing to answer our prayers the way we want him to, we feel like he's jacking up our life. And this is not on the strength of what I'm saying to you. This is on the authority of God's word. Listen. When you trust Jesus, you have a 100% guarantee that he is preparing plans that you cannot imagine. You cannot quite comprehend it. And you might be in the grip of the grief of your situation, but God is good and he's more than good. He is in control of your life. He's in control of your situation. And sometimes you just can't see it. But there will be a day, there will be that Jairus moment when his daughter rose up from the dead. There will be that Ashley moment where she's looking back at me like, what in the world is going on? You will have that moment. And maybe it will be in this life, but maybe it will be in the next life. You will have that moment when you look back at God and you say, this is what you were up to the whole time? This is what you were up to? Because see, here's the reality. Ashley had been waiting. I was one of those dudes, I'm sorry, that we just dated for a super long time. She was right at the brink of being like, I'm calling this thing off because if he don't put a ring on it, he ain't serious about it. She had been waiting. She had no idea. Listen, you've been waiting. You've been waiting. And God is not running late. He's not running late. He's preparing a life for you, and he's preparing some things for you in his goodness, and in his power, and in his mercy. And you can trust him. You can trust him. Let me pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word, and I thank you, God, that you give us that same word you gave to Jairus, don't be afraid, only believe. Don't be afraid, only believe. Lord, I pray that you would help us not to judge your character based on our timing or based on our circumstances, but God, help us to trust your character based on your word to us. Your word that reveals that you are good. Your word that reveals that you have power even over death. So how much more? If you can work through death and over death, how much more can you work in and through and over our circumstances and situations? Help us to trust you as we leave. You're an everlasting God. Your plans for us are everlasting. Help us to trust you, we pray in Jesus' name.